At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 482nd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is inspired to enhance our connection to the earth and each other. We're talking with Michael Gettens about evolving lifestyles in a changing world. Michael is a permaculture student inspired by the diversity of plants and animals that call the Sonoran Desert home. Growing up in New Jersey, his Italian mother sparked an interest in nutrition, and thus the importance of fresh local ingredients began his gardening journey. When he moved across the country in 2014 to Arizona, the unique climate presented an obvious focus on water to ensure a good harvest. Michael took his first permaculture design course, or PDC, in the fall of 2017, led by Dan Dorsey, which guided him to a concentration in rainwater harvesting and a goal to discover low-tech solutions that help provide basic human needs. His current position at Galaxy Gardens includes irrigation maintenance, rain garden design, and planting services. Welcome to the show today, Michael. Are you ready to rock? Let's do it. Excellent. So, hey, I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Thanks, Greg. Yeah, it's been quite a journey to get to where I'm at right now, and I'm really grateful for the ability to be where I am. Yes, it's it started off, I would say, kind of around my college years when I when I started college. I was working a lot with my brother, and we were we were really breaking through on a lot of things in society and, and, and kind of looking at the way it's set up and realizing that there's, there's got to be another way to produce a life, you know, other than the, the common route of schooling and getting a job that can get a 401k to provide for our families. And it definitely took us on a path where all coming back to the earth and, and to nature and the way things were around our grandparents' time, right. you know, being a lot more connected to to uh, natural foods and, and growing your own. So a big part of my path uh, is definitely in nutrition and learning more about the proper foods to eat for, for my specific body because everybody has, you know, their ideal diet. Not one diet's going to work for everyone. And, yeah, that brought me to, you know, experimenting with different diets all the way from, like, veganism to more traditional diets, like including animal products at a at a more moderate level than what, you know, on the standard American diet. <laughs> yeah, cool. And so one of the things that you just said, experimenting with dieting, one of the things I've found over the years is that you're right. Vegan might work great for you, but it might not be great for me. What did you find out about all that? Yeah, that's a really good point. And what I found out is that it really just depends on what phase you're at. You know, what what season is it? What, what are you doing during the day? Are you Are you doing strenuous work? 
out in in 110 degree weather or are you more still during the day do you need fewer calories to operate and that's that's what it's come down to for me right now currently i'm going a little bit back to more vegan diet probably because it is the summertime and uh, just trying to lighten up a little bit cool the other thing you said which was really curious for me you said produce a life Say more about that for me, would you? Because when you bumped up against that, it was like, oh, that's a curious way of putting it. Yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even notice that. But yeah, it's, it's really up to us to manifest the life that we want. It's, it's, it's really sad that the current model seems to be the model of consumption. You know, how much can you accumulate to consume when it's not so much about, like, what can you produce? Like, what, what, what value can you bring to the world? And it doesn't have to be material things. It could be you know, just your presence, your, your art, your, your humor. Wow. So you kind of put consuming and producing on the same coin, different sides. Tell me more about that. Yeah, obviously we are, we are beings that need to consume to survive and we can work with the forces that be to produce what we need. And it's up to us to be smart with the resources that we have so that we can you know, make them last a very long time. Well, and it's a shift in how we think, though, isn't it? Going from a consumer to what can I, you know, what really the question is, what can I consume to what can I produce to contribute? Yeah. How can we, how can we produce more than we consume so that there is abundance for everyone? Yeah. You know, I've said for years is that the only place that lack lives is between our ears. Because when I look to nature... <laughs> When I look to the fruit trees in my yard and the vegetables and stuff that I grow here at the house, even the eggs that we get from the chickens, there is so much abundance. Yeah, it's like how can we how can we distribute that? How can we be less wasteful and make sure that you know there's as equal distribution as possible? Yeah. Well, and I you know I actually read an article about this recently that we actually produce enough food on the planet to feed everybody. This was the, what this article was postulating. What we don't have in place is a system of quality, number one, and a system of distribution that works to get it to people. Do you think the, the production of the food is too, like, too out there from where people actually are? Like, is, are we relying too much on the transportation of the food? I think so, don't you? For sure, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think Bill Mollison said that if we can produce 10% of the food that we eat at home, we would totally revolutionize the entire food industry. Oh, man. And here's here me over here. I'm sitting here thinking, you know, we need to produce 100% of the food that we consume, but 10% is a revolution. I'll take it. Yeah, we got to start start with uh, something that's reachable and obtainable. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So we connected via Facebook. I, I think you posted something on Facebook and I saw it. And it was like, oh, man, that's curious. What is he up to? Tell me about that. Yeah, so it was another hot day, and I had a bunch of ingredients at home that needed to get used. So I said, put the solar oven out there, which can always I can always do more. You know, we can cook throughout the year within a solar oven out here, and there's no excuses in the summertime not to use it. So I wanted to try my hand and try and bake a loaf of bread, which represents such an awesome food that our ancestors ate for thousands of years, and... I'm just, it just makes me excited to, to make something that is valuable to me and to my family that I could share. Yeah. So how'd the bread turn out? It was really good. It was definitely good. I was, I was really surprised. I didn't, I didn't really have any expectations 
for it. So for a first try, it was pretty good. Yeah, you know, and that's pretty good for a first try because often on first tries, especially when we're starting this stuff, we don't uh, we don't do so well, eh? Yeah, you call it beginner's luck, I guess. Nice. So <laughs> you took our permaculture design course here in Phoenix a couple of years ago, right? I did. Yeah, and so permaculture. First, I'm going to have you define permaculture for us. Permaculture is it's a way to design human settlements using living systems that can regenerate themselves. Ooh, regenerate. That's opposed to degenerate, right? Right. Degenerative versus regenerative. So if something's degenerative, once it's made or once it's produced, it, it starts breaking down like a car. You know, once you, once you drive the car off the lot, its value decreases tenfold and... You know, you just need to keep putting money into it to keep it going. It runs on fossil fuels, so those are a limited resource. Versus a regenerative investment, so let's say you bought a pack of seeds that you planted in your yard, and once the seeds grow and mature, they just make more seeds. And there's as long as those seeds keep getting planted, they'll be there forever. Nice. Exactly. I, you know, I'm at the process right now of harvesting carrots that somebody planted in my front yard. And I have thousands of carrot seeds coming. It's pretty amazing. There's that abundance again, eh? Yeah, what are you going to do with it all? Well, we have the Great American Seed Up here. You can find out about that at greatamericanseedup.org here in Phoenix. And I'm going to put them out there at the uh, event and let people scoop them up and take them home and grow them out. I'm going to have to get some. It's about time to plant them. Nice. So back to the PDC or permaculture design course, we had you define permaculture. Tell me what a PDC is for those of the people that don't know. So a PDC is an introduction to permaculture. So bringing you from level zero to level one. So pretty much just kind of skimming over all the different elements of what permaculture is, how to design a site. Like if you wanted to turn your home into a permaculture site, what steps would you need to take to do that? And it gives you tangible tools that you can use to do exactly that. Cool. Like what? Like being able to assess how much rain would actually fall on your roof during a two-inch rainstorm, let's say, and what, what size tank you would need to capture that. Cool. And, and that's one of the things that you really have dived in on is, is this whole rainwater harvesting thing. Tell me about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've definitely been inspired by yourself and all the permaculturists uh, locally out here because that's, that's like the life force out here. There's anywhere, too. You need water to have life. It's what's running the entire show. So out here, it's so important to be able to utilize every drop of it to produce food, to produce shade, medicine, fuel. All of it is, is needed so that we can, we can be out here because it really is quite an experiment we're doing in the Phoenix area living with this many people out here in a desert. Yeah, no kidding. So let's talk more about permaculture. What are zones in permaculture? Zones are areas that are defined by how frequently you're going to visit them. And they go all the way down to zone double zero, which is actually you. Mm -hmm. And zone zero is? Zero would be inside your home. Zone one would be right outside your home and so on, going further and further uh, depending on like how often you actually go to those places. Right. So zone one in your yard could be the back corner of the yard if you're going back there every day, right? Totally. And what would you put in zone one? Zone one is where you want uh, your kitchen garden. If you're going to be going out there and getting herbs to cook with, uh, you probably want your compost pile out there too if you're going to be adding to that throughout the, the week. Maybe chickens? Chickens could be out there. 
Yeah, because you're going to want to visit your chickens every day and pick up their uh, uh, breakfast contribution, right? Yeah, they're, they're, they'll miss you if you put them too far. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I definitely want some shade in zone one outside. Oh, yeah. yeah, big time. Well, and that's, you know, especially in the desert, that's something really important to be putting around our structures is shade. Yeah, definitely. All around, at least the, the east and the west and the north side, mm-hmm. for sure. Brad calls that a shade arc around our house, Brad Lancaster. Genius, the guy. He's a genius. I'm really grateful for him. Yeah. So what are sectors then? So we know what zones are now. What are sectors? Sectors, you'd probably want to know before you even know the zones, because sectors are the forces that are coming onto your site naturally. So without any, anyone doing anything, they're going to be there. So, for example, you have the rain that comes, and out here in the desert, it comes in a, in a pattern that happens twice a year. And you want to know those patterns. You want to know how much is going to come or what's the record rainfall that's ever come down. And what's the record drought? You know, how long has it gone without raining at all? Well, and that can happen, you know, we can go six months without rain here. Easily, easily. But yeah, your other sectors too are, you know, wind, other forces like flooding. Are you in a floodplain? Does that normally happen? Even uh, down to like barking dogs next door. That's Mm. something that you want to consider when you, you know, set up your design. Yeah. Well, and then there's fire and you could even look at utility sectors. Could you not? Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you want to plant like a 50 foot tree, you're probably going to want to know where the power lines are, if there's any above head. Right. Exactly. So there's a curious statement on the information that you sent over and it says changing skills to work with the earth instead of against it. Tell me about that. Yeah, a lot of our systems that we've set up that support society, and they're, they're built with the best intentions, they're just not regenerative. They're degenerative. They're taking away more than they're letting replenish. So we really have to take a, take a look at that and seeing, see what we can improve on that and how can we do it better. And what might that look like? There's a really good documentary by the company Patagonia, uh-huh. and they, they laser focus in. It's a really short documentary. They focus in on industries that are destroying the planet, and then they, they highlight people that are doing it right. And one of the, the, the businesses is salmon farming. So like big industrial salmon farming is, uh, is pretty detrimental to the oceans because they're, they're harvesting many, many different types of fish, and they're not being selective and only get catching salmon. So this company that they highlight uses indigenous wisdom and techniques that humans have been using for hundreds, if not thousands of years to catch fish that actually will benefit the ecosystem rather than destroy it. Wow. So you have a really cool job these days. Tell me about it. Yeah, I love my job. I am a irrigation guy. I dig trenches. I work on drip systems, sprinkler systems, design gardens, uh, install plants. And it's really great being out there in nature. I work for a company called Galaxy Gardens. And my friend Clint actually started the business. He asked me to join his team about three or four months ago. Yeah, we're, we're, we're doing really good work and we're enjoying it. We, sa- we get to save water, help people save water and make their plants real happy. Nice. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you learned from it. Yes, a, a time when I failed definitely is a, is a really rough spot in my life. Definitely hits me hard, but I was, I was traveling to an event and we, we enjoyed a really nice weekend in Joshua Tree, June of 2016. And uh, I was with my brother and his girlfriend, Kelly. And we really, really enjoyed the time out there. 
such a beautiful location that we were at. And when it was time to head back on Monday, we, uh, we got in the truck, packed it all up, and we head, headed back to uh, the valley. And I was actually driving, and from the weekend, you know, I was just, I was pretty tired and not 100% clear with my brother because he asked me, like, are you, are, you, are you all right to drive and everything like that? Like, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm all right. So, yeah, I started driving, and Chris and Kelly had fallen asleep because they were pretty tired, too. And apparently I dozed off. And the next thing I know, the car is off the roadway, and I do my best to try and, you know, fix that mistake. And the car ended up flipping several times and uh, before landing back on its wheels. And I was fine. I was strapped in. Like, I I, I didn't even have a scratch, pretty much. I noticed Kelly behind me, she she passed away on impact, and my brother had been uh, thrown from the car. So... That was definitely definitely probably the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life, and definitely still uh, still working through it. Wow, how how's your brother? He uh, he was definitely in bad shape uh, that day, and uh, week for weeks and months after, uh, pretty critical. But he he has made a full recovery, and I'm really glad he's here. And you know he's got all his his uh, limbs and fingers, and he's walking and being a being a rad musician. Wow. So what did you learn from that? What I learned is learning how to accept things that have happened and accept my, my, my own mistakes and, you know, the fact that I, I could have done better and communicated better. And I learned a lot of forgiveness and self-forgiveness and is, is, is always the hardest kind, it seems. Yeah, you know, it's easy no to kidding. forgive someone else when they do something, but when it's you that's done something, it's uh, definitely a challenge. Wow. I'm so sorry about that. Appreciate it, man. What do you consider your biggest success? My biggest success, we actually, I think we touched on it a little bit, definitely when I dropped out of college. <laughs> I have to tell you, but I, I want you to continue, but I have to tell you, that was my biggest success for almost 20 years when I dropped out of college in 1981. So I hear you on that. <laughs> nice. So when I dropped out of college, I had gone for a year and already changed my major once and just kind of saw the, the road I was going to go down if I continued with that, you know, as far as putting myself and my family in, in debt, pretty much, you know, to, to have a, a degree in something that I'm not really that sure of. So I definitely took some time off, and I, that's when I started taking some nutrition courses and started studying, you know, the other parts of life that they don't teach you in college. Oh, and there's a lot of those, huh? Oh, yeah. So what drives you? Definitely the, the simple things in life, you know, the, you know, the simple pleasures of having a nice meal with family and wanting to secure that for the next seven generations, you know, and, and making sure that, you know, we have abundance, you know, for, for a long time. Perfect. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Rainwater Harvesting for Drylands, Volume 1 and 2 by Brad Lancaster. Definitely uh, not just about rainwater harvesting, those books, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty much PDCs within, within the book without knowing it. Yeah, no kidding. And what do you like about them? I like that they're very simple. Um, I like that there's a lot of good information in there. And there's also a lot of good stories. And, and, and that's really, for a lot of people, that's the best way to learn is through storytelling and, you know, the confidence that this isn't just numbers on a page. It's, it's, it's people's lives that have been changed by this information. Awesome. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Definitely piece of advice from my brother and, and Kelly is have patience, trust, and just show up and do your best. Showing up is a big one. People don't, a lot of people don't know how to do that. Yeah, I'm still learning. <laughs> well, it's a lifelong learn, then. That's for mm-hmm. sure. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Michael. Thanks for having me, man. It's been a lot of fun. You bet. How can our listeners get a hold of you? Facebook. I'm on Facebook, Michael Gettins, or fb.com slash mghrtz. Instagram, Michael Gettins. You can get a hold of me there. Look, look out for us, Galaxy Gardens. We'll be, uh, we'll be in your neighborhood probably. Awesome. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Michael G. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.